Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1.25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Now, read New City Catechism question number 17 with me. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. How's that coming through? Turned it up, trying to. We've been going through this year a series of questions on the basic doctrines within the Bible. Uh, last week we looked at what is sin. This week we look at what is idolatry. So sin rebels against God. Idolatry replaces God. So a lot of our sin and rebelling and ignoring God isn't just leaving it at that. We want to replace God. So not just rebelling. That's why we're going to look at idolatry. That's why it follows in this series of questions and answers of what is idolatry. So idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. What we're going to delve into, a lot of you might be thinking, okay, don't have a problem with idolatry. I'm tuned out. <laughs> and what I want to say is we do. We do as lost people and we do as Christians. Most of the scriptures are written towards believers. And we see that uh, Christians struggled with idolatry. We read in our uh, liturgy today about little children. I mean, John's writing. And at the end of that writing, little children don't you know, subject yourself to idols. Don't trust in idols. That He's writing to believers. But idolatry is sin that is hidden. It likes to hide itself. Other sin is maybe right in your face. You can see you're doing that. Adultery, murder, stealing, lying. You can see these things. You know, I'm doing them, I'm not doing them, maybe. But idolatry lies underneath the surface so we want to dig that out we want to see first that it lies a lot of times deep in our thinking and in our hearts so we want to challenge that try to dig it out and see and repent we want to see how the high places reveal to us what our idols might be we want to see how good things can become idols we want to see how we all worship. It's just what do we worship. And we also want to just see maybe, hopefully, there is some kind of cure to what our idols are. 
When I thought of idols, maybe like you, uh, um, you know, you might think of the golden calf in the Bible or the big idol that Nebuchadnezzar built, 90 foot, bow down to it, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we ain't going to bow to your idols, you know what I mean? But 90 foot, think of that, you know, head of gold, you know, whew, you know, that was, that was something. But as, I, as I'm saying, idolatry is deep in our heart, in our mind, and a lot of times it is much more subtle than that. So our text in Romans one twenty one said, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So you see thinking, you see these, this idolatry is in their thinking and in their hearts, their hearts being darkened. Idolatry has to do with our hearts and minds uh, becoming futile in our thinking and foolish hearts being dark, darkened. The sin of, uh, uh, of adultery, stealing, lying, murder, these other things I mentioned, they're in our face, but adultery sometimes hides itself in the dark recesses of our heart, and we might be unconscious about them, but the Holy Spirit might reveal some to you today. He has along my way, my Christian life, and it's actually a blessing Martin Luther said that the, the commandment we all break is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, so he, he was saying basically that the fundamental problem in our law breaking is always idolatry. Pretty interesting, interesting to ponder. That is, idolatry comes first. We have counterfeit gods that lead us into all of the in-your-face sins. You don't go and murder. You don't go and steal, lie, cheat for no reason. You have things at your heart, in your, at your heart level that you have idolized, and that's what you want. Maybe you're not getting them, so you're going to go and get them, whatever they are. So it begins with this idolatry, and that's really... Um, what our sin is it's this subconscious thinking deep in our hearts and our minds it gets woven in there these false loves that we have rather than loving God we love other things in the darkest recesses of our heart and I pray the Holy Spirit searches us out today and reveals those things for our healing and restoration and deliverance Tim Keller in our uh, commentary he said, I might not have said this in commentary, it was another thing that I read. It said, what thing, if you lost it, could almost cause you to lose your will to live? He says, this is a way of trying to search out your heart, to try to find out what really do I rely on? What really, I mean, we sing about all my hope in life and death is in you. And we want that. We want that as Christians. But a lot of times that doesn't practically work out in our lives. So we ask this question, what thing, if you lost it, could almost cause you to lose your will to live? Like you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, and you go about your day. You're motivated by something. Something's moving you and giving you energy. What is it? And what is it that if you were laying in bed, I don't want to get up. 
I have no reason to get up anymore because I lost blank. Put that in there. You'll begin to see what your real idol is. That's what I live for. That's what motivates me. That's why I'm getting up. And if that is the supreme thing in your life, that is an idol. Anything that's more fundamental than God to your happiness in life, your motivation in life, your meaning in life, or your identity. Like we sang this morning about identity. We sang that God is a good, good father. That's who he is. But who am I? What's my identity and what is it rooted in? We sang that it's rooted in who I am is I'm loved by you. That's what defines me. I'm loved by my creator, by God. You actually saying that. But at the core fundamental level, a lot of times we don't operate on that with that's our identity. It doesn't practically work out that way. We have other loves that we aspire to more than the love of our creator. We need that more. And if we don't have that love, we don't want to get out and get up or go about life. In the morning. So those idols lie deep in our thinking and in our heart. A lot of times what can uh, reveal our idols is what's at the highest place around us. The high places. See, Israel is an example for us. They didn't just build a golden calf and put it up and look at it and worship, but they eventually built on every little village, city, town, no matter the size of it, there was a high place. There was a little hill here. And upon that hill, they built altars. And they built altars to the Baals and to the Asheroth and to these other gods. And they looked up to them. And they were like a a guarantee, you know. Yeah, we'll worship God. But just in case God doesn't come through for us, we have these other gods. And I guarantee if you do the thing with them and you do A plus B, you're going to get C. With God, you know, we, he's mysterious. We're not for sure. But these gods, man, you do and you perform and you do and then you get. And so they, they intermixed gods, you know, because they just wanted to kind of cover their bases. And we see that Elijah, the great prophet, challenged them on Mount Carmel, about who really was God, the God that would truly answer uh, with fire. He challenges them on a high place, on a mountain, on a high place. We see high places important in the Scriptures. We see that literally the devil had the gall, a created being, maybe glorious, maybe one of the first things created, maybe one of the original creations, how be it still, A created being has the gall to bring every human down, Adam, the beginning, into sin, has the nerve to take the Son of God and tempt Him in those same ways. And that allure was very strong in the humanity of Jesus. He was born of the womb of Mary, and He was all human, and He faced that as a human He faced this temptation in the wilderness before he could really go out and start his public ministry. And one of the great temptations is the devil, Luke 4, 5, 8 records, led him up to a high place. 
to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give all their authority and splendor, all their glory to you. And I can give it. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. This is the temptation to Jesus, taking him up on a high place, showing him the splendor of the world. But Jesus answered in Luke 4, 8, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's what the Word of God does uh, to idols. It breaks them apart. It tears them down. Jesus was a, a Jewish boy trained in memorizing Scripture And this scripture is just a quote out of Deuteronomy that every Jewish boy would learn and grow up learning the word of God. And David said, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus was just practically walking that out and saying, that goes against the word of God. Here's what God says about your your idolatry, about your worship on this high place. I'll worship only the Lord, and I will serve Him only. Worship and serve go together. It went in our text together today in Romans 1, what you worship and what you serve, what, what drives you into uh, doing what you do. Idolatry is about worship. Idolatry is about what you serve. It's what motivates you. It's what stimulates you. It's what drives you. It's what you're truly living for and getting out of bed for, that thing that if you would lose would cause you not want to get up. And so idols in worship can be good things. Actually, what the devil offered Jesus was a good thing because Jesus is the king. He does have all glory. He does have all authority. But he had to earn it through suffering and through the cross and through God's way, not the way that the devil is going to do it. So the devil wants to give you good things, but in the wrong way many times. And that was it. That was the temptation. Idols are that subtle. They're good things. But he wants to make them above God, above the worship of God, see? Above the worship of the creator rather than a created thing. Satan, a created being, above the worship of the true and living God. Jesus says, no, thank you. I'll get it through the road to Calvary, through the cross, through obeying my Father's will. I'll worship and I will serve and live my life to him. And he'll give me all those things. He'll give me all authority in heaven and earth and all the glory and splendor of all the worlds. But I will not get them or receive them from you, created being. This is idolatry. This is how interwoven and subtle it can be. Idols being good things but bad because we love them above loving and serving God. Looking to a created thing to give you only what your creator can give you. That's idolatry. See, God created good things. Think about some good things. Uh, he created work. Did you know work is a good thing? Ooh, that's, that's hard in our society today. 
But work is actually a good thing. He created it before the fall. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, he gave them instructions about working the garden, cultivating it, developing it. Work with me in oneness with me. Let us develop and create this earth. He left it unfinished to work with man in the garden. He, he got his hands dirty. God, he's the only God in all religions that got his hand dirty and in mud made humans. And he brought them up and he said, let's get our hands dirty together in the soil and let's cultivate this earth together. I leave things for me and you to work together to bring heaven down to earth. And this was his will to develop the earth. And Satan lied. He said, he, he basically said, has God said, and he questioned God's word, and then he said, it'll make you wise. It'll make you like God. They were already like God. They were already made in the image of God. They, were already, they, they already had that, but that lie, exchanging that truth for a lie, that God was keeping something from them. This is the way idolatry works, trying to offer something that you already have from your Creator. So God created work in the garden before the fall. It's a good thing. He created marriage before the fall. Whew. Most people talk really bad about marriage. You don't want that mess. Don't even enter into that today. It has a lot of negative connotations, but it's very strong still in our society uh, to, to want to be married, to want to have this holy estate together because marriage was created before the fall, the joining of Adam and Eve together. Having a family, that desire was created before the fall, that you will be fruitful and multiply. It was a command from God to do that, to fill the earth. But all of these things can become idols if they're put above God. And somebody that really explained this uh, really well was a deep searcher for God. Augustine, and he sought and he wrote in his confessions this essence of sin he called disordered loves. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about disordered loves. Like you can have a good thing, like work, but if it gets out of order, if it gets unbalanced, if you start loving it so much, work, career, push, work, career, push, what happens to your marriage? No time for, the, no, no time for your spouse, right? You're career-driven. Work can get way out of balance. What happens to your family? We talk about the idols. Oh, we don't have those idols in the Bible. You know, those children's sacrifices and all that stuff. But what about when you sacrifice your family for your career and you have no time? Remember Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Moon? Little boy, little man on the moon. It's a real popular song, man. It's about no time. And then when you decide you want to give time, your son no longer wants that time because you've overlooked him for something else. And you've overlooked your family. You're out of balance. You have disordered loves. I mean, Augustine is my friend, man. He was digging this stuff out way back, you know, 300 years after Christ, you know, digging into the Bible. And seeing that a part of our idolatry, the essence of it is disordered loves. Having them out of order. And you'll destroy the other because one is above the other. But basically any of these things above the love of God will destroy that very thing that you love. God wants you to have marriage. It was before the fall. He wants you to have family. He wants you to have these things. 
He wants you to have a great work ethic, life, and career. But when you put that above God, you will sacrifice God for that thing. That's what idolatry does. It's disordered loves. We often love less the more important things, and the more important things we love less. That's what happens with disordered loves. That's idolatry. Subtle, isn't it? I love God. I love my family and work, you know. But in practicality, what are you sacrificing the most to? What is why you are getting out of bed in the morning for? Is it the love of God, or is it the love of your job, or is it the love of your spouse or your children. And when you love them above God, you will end up sacrificing them. People that overlove their children end up sacrificing them because children weren't meant to bear that weight of your all-encompassing love upon them. You were meant to love God first. And you were meant to love your wife Next, and you were meant to love your children after that and your work and career. There is an order to our loves, and when they're disordered, you will destroy and cause disintegration. It might take a while. That's the insidious thing about these disordered loves. You know, cats in the cradle. He didn't realize it until he was older, and then all of a sudden, hey, man, I'm spending time, you know? But here, just give me the car keys, Dad. Thank you. Can I have them, please? Bye. You never spend any time with me. And I don't have any time for you now and for the rest of my life. That's the way it works. Idolatry, you don't wake up until it's like, what? Until you're about, you know, 60 years old. And you begin to look back and go, oh, wow, man, boy, there were some deep idols there. You know, and that's the thing. But God can bring them out. And when he does, it's by his grace that he reveals them so they don't have to bring the destruction and the disorder and the disintegration. James said in 4, 1 through 3, What are the causes of quarrels among you, the causes of fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's talking about this idolatry within you. That's why you're fighting. That's why you're doing all these things. There's something at the root of it. And he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You see that? Like there's, there's something happening before you do that. There's this idolatry that takes place first. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. That's the source of them, idolatry. James is bringing that that out. He's saying that what makes people miserable is not their circumstances, but that they're chasing after the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And their loves are out of order. So yes, love your work. Yes, love your family. Yes, Love your career and enjoy your work, but don't spend all your time on that and neglect the weightier person in your life, and that is the living and true God. There was this guy, uh, I was listening to Tim Keller, he's written a lot about idolatry and written a book called Counterfeit Gods and really delves into it real deeply in our culture today. And he mentions this David Foster Wallace. He was a uh, publisher, a novelist. He won this MacArthur Fellows program. I looked him all up and read about him. Uh, They called it the Genius Award. 
the genius that's only given in the United States uh, to the premier person in their field uh, with the best uh, creativity in their field. And he had won that. I looked it up, 1997. Yep, here's the guy, here's this picture, everything. Won the genius grant, wrote essays. Uh, he was really into and what it appears to be a very atheistic mindset. He accepted special chairs at California's Pomona College to teach writing. He was married. He was a published author about publishing another book. And then in this biography, it said last month, September 2008, he hanged himself at the age of 46. I don't know him And I don't know all of the issues of why he did what he did, but not very long before he did this, he spoke at a commencement speech. And he said some very profound things. And here's what he said. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. This made atheists mad. Still makes them mad to this day. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Imagine this. An atheist guy. The only choice we get to make is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing, and he goes into all these things, he doesn't know, just some kind of higher power thing is pretty much that anything else you worship will eat you alive. And then he taps into some things like we've talked about, some good things that can become bad things. He says, if you worship money and things, possessions, if they are what you tap real meaning in life to, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and the beauty and sexual allure that you have, and you will always feel ugly. And when age begins to show, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you, before they finally grieve you. You will die a thousand deaths. As I said, the atheist did not like this speech. It it produced a, a book that they made from that, um, not that they, but that a book developed from his speech there. And the atheists come back and they say, well, we don't worship. You're wrong. We hate worship of anything. Which proved the very point of what he said because he went into the problem with these idols and these things that we have in our life as their insidious forms of worship that are unconscious. They were proving the very thing that he was writing and saying. Because they were saying, we don't have them. We don't worship. And he was saying, yeah, you do. And the older you get, the more you realize your heart is bound up and invested in things that even if you get them, they really don't satisfy you. And it's getting them that lets you know that those things won't satisfy. But very few of us ever get them. We always have the if-onlys in the back of our minds. See, none of us ever really gain all of that wealth where we're like, oh, we can't handle anymore. 
I mean, you know, I've got a million. I've got two billion. I've got a hundred million. I've got my first billion now. I've got, there's very few of us that reach that point to where we just have it all. And then what would you do? You would realize that having all that, you just only want more and it never satisfies. But that takes a long time to do, even in that field. But no matter what field it is, it takes a long time to just realize the futility of those things. But some people just want fame. Um, a writer in New York, she wrote for the Village Voice, uh, Cynthia Heimel, talking about actors. She said she grew up there in the 70s. She met all these people. Uh, and she said, you know, she was bussing tables with them. They were really neat, fun people to be around. And then she later wrote for the, for the Village Voice. And in January the 2nd of 1990, she wrote this. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. She lists these names. Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. You see, Sly, Bruce, and Barbara wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Think about that. Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that something that was only to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with the personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And they were still them. The disillusionment turned howling and insufferable. That's what made them these insufferable people. Actually arriving, actually getting what most of us don't ever finally achieve to. But if you ever did, you would realize that your your idols and what you idolize can never meet the need of the human heart. That is another thing that St. Augustine uh, said in looking back on his life and his salvation. uh, Through him was this uh, quote that basically... Our hearts only find rest when we find our rest in Him. Until then, it's always searching. So that whole heart-shaped box and Jesus thing and all that all came from Augustine. I mean, it just came from there's a place and Augustine searched and he lived that life before he found Christ. And he said, he had the light of the revelation of God's word. God's word came alive to him and became life to him. And it changed the whole course of his life. See, when you get saved, when you get born again, when your idols are torn down, your whole life changes. The direction, the course, the meaning, the motivation, your identity, everything is new in Christ. And Romans 1 backs that up like You mean getting everything that I want is a bad thing? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Romans 1, when it goes on to challenge our idolatry, it says three times in Romans 1, 24, 1, 26, and 1, 28, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. Gave them over to the thing that they wanted And fully gave it to him and said, there, how do you like it? So people that end up getting it all realize that. A lot of us with our idols don't ever realize it. But God reveals 
to those that are his and he disciplines the son that he loves and he works in our lives and he reveals idols for our good to keep us from that hopeless end that idols bring so to search out your idols a lot of times you could ask the question this is more in a psychological vein alfred adler he said don't just ask the question what are you really living for but ask rather what are your nightmares what is the thing that you fear the most that you fear losing the most think of that that will reveal your idol what's our idol what's on our high place keller says that on the high places of new york where he was pastoring for 30 years that the high place was like the Twin Towers. It was economics. People didn't have time for church or God because they were working 80 and 90 hours a week. Their God was career. What was your career? Was it better? Were you moving up the ladder? Were you climbing it? Were you getting more and more and more? Were you? If you're not, we don't want you here in this city because this is the way you make it in life and where you gain respect. And that was their idol. It was the Twin Towers. It's the highest economic, the makers of wealth in the world. They rule the world. Money rules the world. Make the money rule the world. That's their drive. That's their high places. The things they build the tallest to. In Philadelphia, it's statues and things for family names that have been around. How long have you been here? 50 years, 100 years, 200 years? I've been here since this, country, this, this state was founded. And here's the statue to my dad, and that's who my family name is. And that's the greatest thing. I don't care about your money. I don't care about your work. Care about how smart you are. Who's your family? What's your family name? What's the history of that name? In Boston, the highest most glorious and the most money spend is on education it's on intellect it's not about how much money you make it's not about what your family name is you can come from anywhere in the world if you get there and you can go to mit or harvard and you can graduate we love you we respect you we build, and we spend all of our money on this this is our high place are you smart are you intellectual are you at the top of your game mentally don't care about your race, creed, family, how much money you got will bring you in. Poor person, educate you at Harvard. If you're the greatest and you're the smartest, that's who we love. You've got that brain. You've got that middle capacity. That's what we worship. That's what we idolize. It's on the high places. What is our high place? What is, what is some of ours? I mean, you can have all these. It can be all mixed. But generally, cities and groups and villages build high places. Second Timothy 3 warned Timothy of this. Paul's offering a personal challenge to Timothy to say, hey, keep following Jesus no matter what the sacrifice and risk. And he says, here's what it'll be like. Understand this, that in the last days, there will be difficult times. People will be lovers of self. Starts about love. And it says they'll be lovers of self. That's huge. Then lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Starts with lovers of self, huge list, and ends with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God wants us to rest. Rest was included before the fall. God rested. It wasn't because he's tired. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. Why did he rest? Why did he take a Sabbath? You know, creating that pattern and balance of work and rest. But what are we about? (laughs) You know, I mean, leisure, entertainment, amusement can be an idol. This is all I want to do. This is all I want to do with my life. Why work? Let's play. 
That's, I, I can remember in the 70s, man, high schoolers, you know, and us coming up here. And Reed also was about coming up here to party, coming to drink. The drugs were here. The ease of the drugs were here. Uh, I had parents, friends that were coming up here. Their parents were like, you're going with your parents? Yeah. And what are you going to do? You know, this is in the 70s. You know, I mean, maybe the 60s were worse. I don't know. But it's like, really? You're doing that? And your parents are going to be there. And all these kids, yeah. And, and it, was, it was places up here. It was coming up to this high place, this mountain. I mean, these things and the beauty of our mountain, just like we prayed today, and Mary prayed, it was beautiful because it puts mountains and snow and skiing and birds and trees and the glory of God's creation in its proper perspective. He's the creator of all those things. And when it's in its proper place, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's glorious. I love nature. I love uh, the beauty of our mountain and trees. But when our high place becomes that above God, no. I worship God. I worship that eagle. I worship that tree. I worship nature. Nature is my sanctuary I go to. And I find from it my source of peace, of life, of meaning. Nature is that in me. That's totally different. I mean, I can be talking to someone about nature, and I'll be like, rolling, 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 rolling. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I mean, it's the wonder of our maker. It's the wonder of our creator that designed all that. Man, I worship God, not created things, not creation. And that's why in the Bible it says, do not worship angels. Man, think of that, the worship of angels. That's something I could get into, man. Couldn't you guys? A lot of people, man, there's... That's something, man. Uh, angelic beings, man. Uh, but in all of these things, that's the warning there is idolatry. Our hearts will pursue not just to rebel against God, but to replace Him. Put Him out of the picture. Worship this rather than God. And you can go on, and hopefully, maybe something is triggered and dug some different areas in our life that God wants to work on, that we've loved above him. The way out of our idolatry is to be a lover of God. That God's love is supreme. And it, it has the supreme place in our heart. God, his son Jesus what he did for us, his love, his cross etched into our soul. See, a lot of people say, well, can't you just have this concept of God? You know, just some concept of God. And, you know, no matter what it is or what religion, will that work for you? And it can temporarily work for certain people, help them seemingly set them free from certain things, just that concept of God. In the long run, run, it doesn't work either. See, God isn't just a concept. The true and living Christian God isn't a concept. And Jesus, his only begotten son, isn't a concept. He is a real person that now even all scientists, philosophers believe Jesus was an actual person that existed during that time. There's really no more debate in that. There was, whether he was just a myth and mythological figure, but now... There's just agreement with that. It's just who do you say that he is? 
So we went over on Wednesday nights for these last three months at Gateway. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? Because who you say he is will determine whether you're delivered and set free truly from your idols. Because he's more than a concept. He is an intimate lover, passionate lover. God is an intimate, passionate lover who can be grieved, who can be hurt, who can sense your rejection and ignoring him and you setting up false idols in your heart that he knows will never satisfy you. And that grieves him. Many times in the Bible it says God's heart is grieved over our idolatry and sin. So that answer, part in short, the cure is this intimate relationship that God wants you to have. And it's in the intimate story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And nothing more and nothing less than the gospel itself. It is the power of God to deliver us and tear down all idols. And keep us from bowing to our own idols and our own heart. And this world's idols. When they all say, I'm playing the flute, bow. The music has started, everyone bow. And you say, no, that voice comes from an intimate relationship with God. And it has to be more than a concept. It has to be in the blood-washed heart of a saint. And that's you if you know Jesus. He's made you that. Not because you merited it, earned it, or deserved it. But because He loved you. And He loved you intimately. And your union with this unique Son of God, Jesus, is your only help out of idolatry. And all of the false hopes and all of the counterfeit gods is a union, a deep union with Christ. Blood-bought union. Jesus talks, and the Bible talks, and the Apostle Paul talks about this union that comes in the concept of marriage. But this marriage is a marriage that no death will ever separate you from. It's an eternal marriage, an eternal union with God. It's an intimate looking at the person of Jesus Christ and His public crucifixion upon that gruesome cross. His blood ran down from the crown of thorns on His head to the spike nail through His feet. From the crown of His head to the feet his blood flowed, and then make sure he was dead. They pierced him with a spear up through his ribs and through his side, and blood and water flowed. And that blood and water flowed is the only thing. Faith in that intimate death of Jesus and seeing your idolatry and sin upon that cross is the only thing that can tear idols down and set a human being free. I think everybody should be jumping up and down and shouting like, ah! <laughs> Inside. At least. No idol has the truth that can set you free. When Christ has offered his all, is what Hebrews 10.12 says, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Yeah, one sacrifice for one time, for all time, for all your idolatry and all your sin. That's how powerful that blood is that ran from that cross. And how powerful the new life that he offers you in his resurrection is a life free from idols. It's loving your wife and your husband. It's loving your family and your kids. 
It's loving and enjoying your work and career. It's loving your children and all of these things just in its proper place is that God is your ultimate love. God is your supreme love. God is the center of your love. And all these other things will run out as a blessing from that. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we worship together and take communion together, we remember the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And we'll worship in thanksgiving together as a body worshiping this true and living God and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He gave thanks to the Father for it. He said, This is my body. Take and eat of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake together. Father, Give us hearts that worship you supremely. When we sing this song together, connect it with the body of your son, Jesus Christ, and his blood that flowed from that cross. Let our hearts truly be transformed as we worship you, God, and your only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.